Psalm 90. Let's look at it. All right. Here we go. Reading from NIV. This is the word of the Lord, and this is what it says in Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That's God's word from Psalm 90. Thanks, uh, Carl, if you want to come up. That's what we do. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your grace to us. Lord, we thank you that just as Moses prayed thousands of years ago, that, Lord, we can pray as your people as well now. And we ask that his prayer would teach us in our prayers. And, Lord, we pray that his prayer would teach us to pray about life and to wrestle with the realities of life. Uh, and to the wrestle with the realities of life by wrestling with you. Father, we pray that you'd open our hearts to hear your words, to receive your words, uh, to believe in you and to trust uh, in Jesus Christ. Pour out your spirit into our hearts uh, and fill us with great joy, Father, we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, six weeks ago, I think it, it must have been, uh, I had... Uh, a phone call uh, from uh, from someone telling me that uh, a guy that I'd gone to school with, uh, who I'd gone to university with, he was a few years older than me, I think, uh, had been diagnosed with uh, advanced melanoma. Uh, they'd found cancer all through his body. Uh, they'd found cancer in his brain. Uh, a few weeks later, he had a four-centimetre tumour removed from his brain. 
uh, he has a wife and three children. Uh, Another day, uh, a few weeks ago, another friend rang me up and told me that someone that I'd studied with uh, with at Bible College had been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, he was in his late he's in his late twenties. He's newly married, and their first child was born in the last year or so. They're not uncommon stories, are they? Actually, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with those realities? Last week, uh, if you were here, we looked at a psalm that helped us to think about persecution and to deal with persecution and the reality uh, of that in our world today. This week we're looking at Psalm 90, which is a psalm that doesn't help us to deal so much with the pain of persecution, but just the pain of everyday life. You might not feel that life at the moment is painful or difficult or sorrowful, but it's worth, even if it's not, it's worth learning now how to deal with pain and sorrow so that when that time comes, when pain and sorrow come, you're equipped to deal with it. And Psalm 90 is a great psalm for helping us to do that. You probably can't find a better psalm, I don't think, for wrestling with these realities. Well, the first thing that uh, this psalm reminds us of is that God is the only sure foundation of life. God is the only sure foundation of life. So verse 1 and 2, Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth uh, and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Or verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. God is the constant in an ever-changing world. For as many generations as there have been in the history of the world, God has been the dwelling place for his people. He's been the safe place, the strong tower that we sung about in Be Thou My Vision. He was there before the mountains were born. Animals die, trees are cut down, trees are ravaged by fire. But the mountains always stand there immovable, don't they? They might be weathered by by the years that go by, but the mountains are kind of like the oldest things that we know of. And the writer of the psalm, Moses, says, God's older than the mountains. God's more ancient than them. Before the mountains were born, God was there. Before the earth was made, God was there. Because God is from everlasting to everlasting. My, uh, my nieces are just starting to understand, starting to talk about uh, infinity. One of them's only five. She loves infinity. And the uh, last time I was there, uh, we were talking about pi as well. She was struggling to grasp you know, that pi is an irrational number that goes on forever. Anyway... She was doing her best. (laughs) And she comes up to me and she goes, "Um, infinity, is that bigger than pi? And I'm going, yeah, infinity is bigger than pi. How do you explain that to a five-year-old? Anyway, she did pretty well. But um, 
But we find infinity hard to grasp, don't we? We find it hard to grasp of a number that could go on forever and ever and ever and never repeat, never get old, never get boring. And the Bible, <laughs> I love pie, do not bag pie. But God is like that. God is from everlasting to everlasting. There is no end. Archimedes uh, once said, give me a fixed point and I'll move the earth. I love that. Give me a fixed point and I'll move the earth. Archimedes knew less about the universe clearly than we know today. But I love to sit there and imagine what it would be like trying to move the world with a crowbar. You know, find a, find a point in space and kind of lever this massive globe that we hurtle around space on. Kind of lever it from where it is. Where can I, where can I put that crowbar to make it move? And our lives are like that. <laughs> like the earth, hurtling through space, through this void. Ankylos. But God is the foundation. God is the fixed point. He's the only constant, the only sure place. And we hurtle through time and space. But God is fixed. Moses says, God is the only constant in our universe and in our world. But the second thing this psalm reminds us of is that though God is that only constant in this whole universe, sin has separated us from God. So look at verse 3. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. Those words remember God's curse on humanity uh, after the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. For you are, God says in uh, Genesis 3, for dust you are and to dust you will return. And Moses is saying that in Psalm, in Psalm 90, that's what God is saying. You turn men back to dust, return to dust, O sons of men. God created us with this great dignity. He made us in his image to, to be like him and to know him. But because of our sin, our lives now are like dust. It's hard to think of anything more inconsequential than dust. You know, it just gathers up on books and other things and you have to sweep it away. I can't believe how much dust uh, forms on my bookshelves and behind the books, I don't know how it gets there. But Moses is saying that's what our lives are like. Our lives are like dust and God sweeps us away in the sleep of death. It's that easy. Or we're like grass. Grass which springs up in the morning but the sun is so hot and dry that by the evening it's withered. As human beings, we live our lives consumed by the curse of God against sin. We're consumed by it, we're burned by it, and we're scarred by it. For God, a day is like a thousand years. But for us, 
70 years or 80 years is kind of a, that's a good expect, that's a good wicket, isn't it? That's a good life to hope for. And even that short life, Moses says, is lived out in pain and misery. Verse 10, the length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength, yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. The 19th century philosopher and relentless optimist uh, Arthur Schopenhauer uh, once wrote, we can re- regard our life as a useless, disturbing epi- uselessly disturbing episode in the blissful repose of nothingness. Say that again. We can regard our life as a uselessly disturbing episode in the blissful repose of nothingness. Or again, human existence must be a kind of error. It may be said of it, it is bad today and every day it will get worse until the worst of all happens. Schopenhauer was uh, not always that positive. (laughs) And... uh, There's a lot more of that, where that came from, let me assure you. Now, I don't think life is quite as bad as Schopenhauer made it out to be. Uh, Life isn't constant agony. Uh, There is joy to be found. There is joy. Those those of us who were able to go to the wedding yesterday of Marty and Erica would know that there was times of great joy. Times of great joy and extraordinary happiness. And yet, even there, pain and sorrow are never too far away. Yesterday was a great day, but there were some moments too. Marty's mother passed away when he was only young. And there were just moments yesterday when that were reminded of that. Even amid the great joy, there's just not a, not a crippling pain, But just that reminder that the world is still not all that it should be, all that it was created to be, all that it will be. Pain and sorrow are constant companions in our life. Realising that for some of us takes less imagination than it does for others. But the more that I talk to people, and maybe the more that you talk to people as well, there's one word that keeps coming into my mind. And that's the word broken. This world is a broken world. It's still good. There's still echoes of the goodness that God created it to have, but it's a broken world. Broken uh, broken lives, broken families, broken marriages, broken bodies. Suicide, abuse, abandonment, drug and alcohol abuse, bullying profound mental illness, the pain of separation, separation from family, the pain of separation from friends. It's not as though those things are happening to every single person every day, but they're there. One, One broken relationship is enough to scar a person for a lifetime. Again, it's not as though life is a constant misery for most people, by the grace of God, there's joy and happiness. But why is there suffering? Why is is life like this? 
Moses says it's because of sin. Verse 8, you set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. We live in this world under God's curse on sin, under the misery that sin brings to our life. It's uh, not only our own sin, but it's the sin, first of all, of Adam and Eve, and also the sin of all of humanity. I think uh, as we think about what Moses is trying to say, we need to resist importing our Western individualism into understanding what's going on. Uh, People tend to understand God's response to sin a bit like they understand karma. So, uh, you know, all the bad things you do, you suffer suffer the consequences of that. So so God basically becomes the upholder of karma uh, in in our life. But the Bible uh, doesn't work like that. The Bible isn't so individualistic. We suffer the effects of other people's sins as well. Not all suffering is because of our sin. Uh, That's quite obvious in some instances. A person who's robbed is not suffering the effect of their own sin. They're suffering the effect of the person who's robbing them, the sin of the person who's robbing them. We suffer the effects of our own sin sometimes. Greed, uh, when we eat too much, buy more things than we have the money to pay for. Uh, Our own uh, selfishness damages and destroys our most precious relationships. We live out all our days under the effects of our own sin. But we also live out the effects of God's judgment and curse on the sins of others as well. When we know and trust Jesus, uh, we no longer live out our days as God's enemies. But it's still true that as we continue to live as God's people on this world, in this world, we continue to suffer the effects of the curse of sin. That hasn't been taken away yet. Paul says we groan inwardly, waiting for creation to be remade. And recreated. We long for everything to be put right. So this psalm reminds us that God is the only sure foundation, and this psalm reminds us that sin has separated us in some way from, from God, our foundation. But it also teaches us the best way to respond to that. How do we respond to pain and difficulty in this life? Uh, Do we just make the best of a bad situation? Do we lower our expectations? Do we just get on with life? Well, the first step, Moses says in verse 12, is to remember that we don't live forever. Verse 12, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's much too easy, isn't it, to forget the impermanence of life and the fragility of life. It's not until something happens, like a friend is diagnosed with cancer, that you're reminded of it. It's not until we ourselves are diagnosed with a kind of a terminal illness. Or it might not even be a terminal illness, it might just be the long, slow years of dealing with chronic pain, chronic illness. Those things remind us that our days are numbered. You might have seen a few weeks ago in the news a 19-year-old guy by the name of Zach Young from the north coast of New South Wales uh, changed his mind about travelling to Melbourne 
uh, that Saturday and decided to go out uh, bodyboarding with his mates. And while he was out there bodyboarding with his mates, he was attacked by a tiger shark uh, and died within minutes. Our lives can be snatched away at a moment's notice. And Moses knows that it's good to be reminded of that. Moses knows that it's good to know that our lives are fragile. Why is that? Why should we number our days? Why should we calculate that our days are numbered and short and miserable and hard? Isn't that just depressing? We should do it, Moses says, so that we learn to cling to God. That's what it means to be wise. Moses says, teach, teach us to number our days that we might, might gain a heart of wisdom. What does it mean to, to be wise? It means, it means to cling to God because he's the only constant in life. Teach us to know that we don't live forever so that we ne- know that we need to find Jesus. Teach us that so that we find Jesus before it's too late. And we're separated from God forever. The last verses of this psalm give us a glimpse of what real wisdom looks like. Verse 13, Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendour, to their children. May the favour of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Here's what it means to be wise. God, please come back. The wife uh, of the friend diagnosed with melanoma posted verse 14 of this psalm uh, on Facebook a few days after they found out what was going on. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. It's an incredible thing to post, isn't it? It shows remarkable faith. But that's what numbering our days does for us. It gives us a heart of wisdom. We end up coming to God and basically falling in a heap before him and saying, God, I've got nothing left to give. And of course, we never had anything to give in the first place. There's nothing that we can give back to God that we should repay him. But often it takes pain and suffering for us to really realise how true that is. remind us that it's we who need God and not God who needs us. What is it that satisfies us? Not health, says Moses, not success, not prosperity, but your unfailing love. What gets us through the difficult times? It's God's unfailing love. Moses prays, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. That's a prayer not uh, only for God to make things better, but it's a prayer for God to balance out all the pain and the hurt that we've ever suffered. 
It's a prayer, Moses is almost praying that God would undo the pain and the suffering and the hurt. And what's doubly remarkable, I think, for us living this side of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus is that God has not only promised to answer that, he's promised to actually go far above and beyond what Moses prayed for. Moses prayed, if you like, you know, we have 70 miserable years and Moses prayed that, well, we have 70 or 80 good years to make up for that. But God doesn't promise that in the gospel. God promises an eternity without sorrow or misery or pain or sadness. He promises an eternal weight of glory that will never perish, spoil or fade. Paul says, our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I was thinking this morning about the wedding yesterday and just what a great time it was and just how much joy there was. And, and for a moment... Isn't it? Everything seems right with the world. You know, I, had a, I had a rubbish week this week. It was an awful week. But yesterday was a great day. And I woke up this morning so excited and so thankful for the great mercies of God. For a moment, everything seems right with the world. And I thought to myself, it's just a taste and it's just a glimpse of the great wedding reception of Christ and his church. But not for a day and then back to life. But for a day and then forever. As you look at your life, you might wonder if that's possible. Is it possible that all the sorrow that you're carrying at the moment could turn to joy? If anyone can do that, God can do that. God can redeem the years the locusts have eaten. I don't know how God can do that. But if God can give up his only son to death for our sake and still have exceeding joy, and if Jesus can enter the misery of our world and be executed at the hands of of humanity and suffer the wrath of God and rise triumphant and full of great joy, then whatever suffering and sorrow that you're facing now or you've faced in the past, whatever it is, God can turn that around. God can wipe away every tear and every hurt and every pain. My friend and his wife don't know what God's purposes in their suffering is. They don't know what the outcome will be, whether death or life. But they do know that God's unsatisfying love, will, unending love, sorry, will satisfy them. And Zach Young, that young man taken by the tiger shark, had become a Christian 18 months before. And as he died, he spent the last conscious moments of his life telling his friends that he loved them and praying with them that God would look after them and that God would look after him.
It shows great faith. That young man knew that whatever the tragedy, the only answer is to cling to God. There is no other foundation. Teach us to number our days, O God, that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it's dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength, yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due to you. O God, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Lord, thank you that you have relented and in Jesus Christ all your wrath has been consumed on him. And Lord, thank you that when we trust in you, we need no longer fear your wrath and your anger because you make us your children, your loved children. And Lord, though we live out these days here on earth in continuing pain and misery, Lord, we thank you for the fleeting moments of joy which awaken our hearts and stir us to look forward with eager anticipation to the day of the coming of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And Father, we long for that day when all the pain and the agony and the sorrow and the difficulties will be put right. For the day when you say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your master's happiness. Lord, we pray for those among us who are struggling more than others, whose lives are deeply broken and deeply sad. Lord, we pray that you might grant them a special measure of your grace. Lord, turn our grief into joy. For your sake we ask it. Amen.